Hello. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. Today's guest, her name is Lauren Henley, and we'll tell you how we met when we start talking. I want to, before we go into this episode, acknowledge that this interview, I think, is going to be really important for me personally. There's a lot of work I'm doing right now, and my therapist has told me not to talk about stuff on the podcast that I have not completely done my work around. And generally, that's what I do in the therapy room is I don't disclose something that I feel like I have some completion around. And the conversation with Lauren triggered a lot of stuff that I think is really important. And I'm consciously choosing to put the messiness out there because I think it's really important to know that this is the process of reckoning with the darker parts of ourselves and the parts that we wish weren't there. So I'm just going to say that. I think that I am imperfect and I am like I'm feeling feels right now, you guys. I'm feeling really vulnerable. This one felt really, really vulnerable for me. So I think that's all I got to say about that. Let me tell you more about Lauren Henley. Lauren says, I exist to support people and organizations to wake up to their purpose, align their lives to their mission and transform their relationship to themselves and to each other. My approach is to create spaces where people feel safe to be their true selves, share vulnerability and reflect honestly. I inspire transformation and support individuals and teams to move out of the blame and criticism and into personal responsibility and empowerment. I give people the tools they need to be explicitly teaching and practicing of the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. So please, please, please enjoy my amazingly vulnerable interview with Lauren Henley. Hello, Lauren. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? Good. I'm so excited for our conversation. Yay! So I guess we can start by telling people how we met. We have a mutual friend, Erin, who was just on the podcast. Her episode just aired recently as we're doing this. And I can't even remember exactly why Erin said we should meet, but it was basically like, you just should know each other. And then when we met, it was like, yeah, we should just know each other. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So do you want to tell people who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Lauren Henley, and currently I am a school principal at a middle school on the west side of Chicago, and I've been teaching and leading in urban education for the last 15 years in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk a little bit about where you're headed as well? Yeah, so, I mean, I was thinking a lot about like what brought me to that work, and yeah. at the end of the day... I have always felt called around transformation and supporting people to wake up in different ways. And all my work in this community and with my teachers has just made me more and more passionate about supporting more people. And so I'm currently training to be a conscious leadership coach and I'm passionate about bringing consciousness and tools for waking up to organizations, systems, and individuals. Awesome. And it's funny how this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but it's not like, (laughs) I swear, I swear. But initially, so like, I think we talked about this already that most therapists, if they hear the word coach, they're like, well, no, no, you don't have a degree. Like you haven't done the work that I've done. 
But I think that you are already doing the work that you want to do. You just need to have whatever sort of title in order to be able to execute that so that somebody will take you seriously. But like, this is the shit you were born to do. Mm, I felt my whole body. I just have like a rush of heat and chills. Mm. And I, I really believe you. And what it feels like is I've just recently given myself full permission mm. to be who you are. This is what you've always done. And it's actually what you're supposed to do. It's not like this weird secret thing you should do. Right. And the more that I give myself permission and the more that I step into that, the more aliveness I'm experiencing. Yeah. Would you share with listeners a bit about your story and kind of how you came to because awakening from consciousness, that's a big fucking order, right? Big, tall order. And I imagine that as a child, you were like, I'm going to awaken everyone's consciousness. So how'd you get there? Oh, that's a big question, right? I know. Start wherever feels good. If I were to plot it, I would say that I grew up in a house where in a family with like three generations of addiction and mental illness, mm. lots of suicides, just a lot of trauma. And mm -hmm. so I carried that. I didn't know the impact of that till much later. But I would say the first moment was I fell in love with a guy in high school and I grew up in the South and he was African-American and the impact on my life and his life, just seeing racism in action as a white woman, like at the time, white child, mm -hmm. I had no idea the experience of people of color until that moment. And when I woke up to it, right, I was like, oh, my God, one, why aren't more people know about this? And why doesn't mm -hmm. somebody do something about it? And so that started me on a journey. I just wanted to eat that alive. Basically, I went to college, mm. and made like everything I could get my hands on around racism and class. And then I was like, I have to do something. People need to know the impact of this and the systemic impact. And I got in schools and I started seeing even more intensely the impact of systemic oppression. And I just felt like people aren't aware. Maybe if people mm -hmm. are aware, well, this kind of was coinciding and paralleled with my own journey where I was creating a lot of chaos for myself, got pregnant unexpectedly when I was 23 and went to therapy and realized that I had a lot of my own work to do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like both journeys have been parallel paths. Yeah. So in my school, as I'm like working to wake up and support the awakening of all these students, teachers and people outside of that community how to be better educators, right? Like all of these more traditional ideas about waking up. I'm also like joining a 12-step program and seeing all these patterns and in my own life over mm -hmm. and over again and the impact that they've had on me. And so all of that really led me to where I am now, which is seeing how my story is that our society creates almost a psychosis that we can't avoid, and yeah. there's a sleepiness around it. There's a way that, and that we've just accepted that so many things are just the way that they are. And when they come forward, for example, big emotional issues or something like that, then it's like, well, this is the one way that we treat that. We never assume that it's just an opportunity to wake up more and more. Right. That's what I see now is like there was nothing wrong with me. And the universe totally conspired to give mm -hmm. me everything to continue my expansion. And that's happening for everyone. And when we support them to see how that's happening, their process is much smoother. 
Right. It's funny. So in my own 12-step meeting today (laughs) that I was at, one of the things that came up for me was the concept of like, how does our higher power take care of us? And what I have tried to lean into in my own life is that I'm supposed to learn lessons in this lifetime. And one thing that I think that my higher power does is kind of put me in situations to give me an opportunity to choose a different response instead of just doing the same thing I've been doing over and over. And it's only by looking at those patterns of chaos, like you said, that I can see, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And my higher power keeps trying to tell me I can do it differently, that I have different choices. And it's not until I recognize the pattern that I can say, oh, yeah, let me show up differently in this. Totally. Like it's the awareness of the pattern. And I'm starting to really love the patterns. I'm starting to be like, wow, what? Hmm. Starting to see that the ways that the patterns are orchestrated, are created, are not bad or good. They're like, perfect and that mm-hmm. I'm a continuation of generations yeah. and generations, you know, of healing that will continue after me. I'm trying to show myself a lot of grace because I can really beat myself up when I'm in a pattern and be like, why am I still doing this? And mm. I see it as like this upward spiral where I keep coming back to similar things, but I have more and more awareness to create a different path. Yeah, I love that. So you started talking about race, and I would love to really dig into that because the awakening of, as a white person, waking up to your privilege and recognizing that we have it. And you said earlier, like, people just don't know about it. And I think that's so true. And even when presented with the information, people still don't. But not, not everybody, obviously. And I feel like a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably get it. But a lot of white people don't see it, which is why we, I think, have the backlash we do now with MAGA people. I'm just going to stereotype them and lump them into that category (laughs) of of being asleep. I think that we all have the things that we're called to support waking up around in the world. And they're not the same for everyone. I do think there's certain consciousnesses and agreements that we've made as a society Mm -hmm. that are collectively keeping us asleep in like core areas in a way that is limiting the growth of the whole. Yeah. And I love how you said that. I think that racial consciousness is one of those experiences. And I listened to your podcast with Erin today and you were talking about denial to me, denial are just the places that we're totally unconscious to. Yeah. And so when I think about this idea of, you know, the majority of white Americans, if I were to have a conversation around race, their lack of awareness of the experience of the other is a place that is so unconscious. And then I heard yeah. you talk to Aaron, like, why do some people wake up out of denial and why do some people not? Right. And I think there's like a couple of things and specifically around racial consciousness, it's around availability, like becoming available to all of the feelings that are very uncomfortable. Yeah. And that you become available when you're unconditionally accepted. Mm. And so I think that it will be so painful for white people to wake up to this because of the shame and guilt that they have to experience once they truly start to empathize and understand the impact of the system of racism, right? Because everyone 
prejudice and everyone's bias, right? Like I yep. have a bias around like hot pink, like everything I own is hot pink. <laughs> you know, like, right. Right. Yes. And they can be dangerous, right? But right. the thing about racism is the systemic nature of it, the institutionalized nature, mm-hmm. the way that it's written into laws and policies, the ways that mm-hmm. the power holders that be are all of those faces are the same faces with the same experience and the same consciousness. So they're making laws and decisions aligned to what's going to serve people that look like them and not anybody else. That to me is the power of it. And I think the waking up is going to be pretty excruciating. It already is, right? I mean, I feel like, and probably really just since Trump was elected, I guess a lot of us white people were patting ourselves on the back for electing a black president And then Trump gets elected and we're like, oh, we don't have this solved yet. And when Trump was elected, somebody told me that if we had elected Hillary, we would just have continued more of the same and not have been forced to do some of this reckoning that we're being asked to do now by this like, oh, shit, there is so much more racism that we pretended wasn't there because we had a black president. And oh, look how far we've come. I think what's powerful about Trump is like, and you know this as a therapist, when someone is really unconscious about something and in their pain, it takes a very big jolt in their life for them to wake up. And I think Trump is that jolt. In the letter to the Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King talks about like the white moderate being the number one enemy basically to progress. Mm. And it's really Mm. that state of consciousness where you're like, well, I know enough about this topic. I'm open to this topic. I have friends that look like this. Like, I don't really need to do the work. It's like those real racist country people that I see on TV or whatever stereotype we create. It's always the other. Somebody else needs to do work on this. Somebody else needs to fix this. And I time and time again, I'm like, the only consciousness I'm really responsible for is mine. Yeah. My passion is help supporting people to take more responsibility for their own consciousness. Yeah. As you're saying that, I actually talked about this concept with my therapist this week because I grew up in Southern Ohio where I feel like the covert nature of racism in a place that's just above the Mason-Dixon line, right? We pride ourselves on being the North. And I didn't even know what white privilege was until I went to grad school almost just a little over 10 years ago because it is just not something that they talk about in Southern Ohio because they don't know. It's not true. I have friends who are there now. Now they talk about it. When I was in undergrad 20 years ago, they didn't talk about it. But it's something that I've been, and I have an intense amount of guilt and shame around it. And it's something that I've been trying to figure out like, How do I work with this? How do I learn how to transmute that and continue to hold myself accountable? Because when you were just saying about the white moderate, that's exactly what I did for a really long time. It really wasn't until Trump's election and all of this started coming out and I see people getting called out and I'm like, fuck, I have participated in that and I didn't even know it. And that's the shit that I guess like scares me because I pride myself on being really self-aware. And when there's something that's outside of my awareness, I just beat myself up for it. You should have seen this. Like you should have known. Like you should just never say anything wrong or do anything wrong. And I find myself right now steeped in that shame. And thank God my therapist is really plugged into all of this and has given me a lot of resources. And she's like, yeah, it's time you hire a coach for this because it's work that you're being called to do now. 
it's really uncomfortable and this is not something you can ask your friends to help you with. Yeah, I mean, when I met you and the way you talked about it, I just really appreciated your like willingness around it. Mm -hmm. And because I just don't hear people naturally saying like, I personally decided that this was something that I was gonna, you know, take more responsibility for in my life. And what I'm learning and conscious leadership has really, really supported me in this is that I believe that we all get an individualized curriculum just for us on the planet. And that is... Oh, I love that. God, you say the best words. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) And I believe that life is for us and consciousness is like our expansion and our learning and our curriculum is also supporting the learning of all these other curriculums. But sometimes we compare our curriculum to other people's or our seed, right? But that's why I think it's so ironic that I'm been in a school, right? And learned how every kid learns differently. Every kid Mm. learns at different speeds and how much we would all be served by an individual curriculum. Yeah. That's for us. But when I believe that, then I can see that everything that's happening in my life is a projection of me. And Byron Katie's work around turning stories around and seeing how there's truth in everyone's experience probably has been the most transformative work that I've been able to do. Mm. Because for me, that what I hold myself accountable to is like, if I am not willing to like listen to Trump and Trump supporters and learn to empathize with them and believe right. what's true about what they say, then I can't ask other people to look at really difficult topics or the other and do the same thing. And so I see a lot of that in this conversation around race, you know, it's just yeah. like, at the end of the day, it all goes back to we heal from facing what we have aversions to and facing what's difficult and leaning into the thing that we're resisting Mm -hmm. and learning to trust that we will be supported. Mm -hmm. And I think that racial consciousness is just a really, really big way that we're being called to do that. Yeah. When you talk about that, being able to listen to somebody who has different views from you, I feel like That is one of the issues that I see perpetually dividing us rather than uniting us, right? And it's like, I think those of us who have committed ourselves to a spiritual path one way or the other see the benefit in creating room for everybody at the table to have the conversation. And this is, I'm talking specifically about like conservatives versus liberals and the whole like political divide. And then there are people that seem to be like shut down and too angry to have a conversation. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm also reconciling that with what I see going on also with race is that what I've been seeing is that there are a lot of black women that are so angry and they're like, you know what? I don't have time for this conversation now. And what I'm finally recognizing is, yeah, now I get why that's right. right? And I'm also in this, (laughs) in this space, being able to recognize oh yeah, so I guess liberals also have that right too to be so tired and so angry. And maybe the people who are so angry have been doing a lot of work and feel like they haven't gotten any benefit out of it. And I'm sitting over here truly disengaging, being comfortable. I could say something on Facebook and not necessarily go out and canvas. I haven't done anything political since Obama was elected the first time. So I'm fucking sitting on my ass. Wow, girl. You're challenging me and it's so important. And you're not you're not even doing it. It's kind of funny. Like we're just having a conversation. But all of this is like coming into a different perspective or like, I don't know. Well, I just think all of life is a everything's a relationship. And 
Like, I think that intimate partnership is the model for this, for everything, right? So if we were to look at, like, you spoke about, like, Black women, for example, right? In that relationship, they've been fighting to be heard, carrying the weight, taking more than their fair share of the responsibility for generations. So there's a huge imbalance in the relationship. So if you imagine like with your partner, Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. you had it been heard or validated or supported for that relationship to come back in balance, your partner would have to have some type of awakening that would then cause your partner to be willing to carry more of the weight to bring Mm. it back into balance. And it's very rarely the partners, you know, like it would not be the black responsibility to get you there. Right, right. Exactly. Our responsibility. That's so great. The way you put that, that really crystallizes it and makes it so easily explainable because everybody can understand what it's like to be in a partnership at some point in one's life, whether it's an intimate relationship or with a family member or whatever. You're right. There does have to be this equanimity of carrying the load. That's exactly what I'm thinking then with liberals then who might be too pissed off to have time for empathy now. And I'm thinking of a friend in particular who is, he's generally angry and (laughs) I always laugh at him for being so angry, but he went to Iowa and he was literally knocking on doors. And I see him post angry things on Facebook. And I always think like, oh, if, you know, if only he would just like open up to the spirituality and like maybe he'd be able to have empathy. But now I'm like, oh, you did more work than I did. I get it. Fuck, Lauren. I mean, it's a it's a big thing. What came up for me just now, and I'm just going to trust that it's connected. The most transformational thing I've ever done is my four step. And Mm -hmm. I had 250 people on my resentment list. And (laughs) can we explain for people who might not know what a fourth step is? Right. Every resentment you have, and then you go through it. There's columns Mm -hmm. where you get how it was a threat to your financial, your emotional security. And then the last column, you write what was your part. Mm -hmm. And what was so crazy, you do institutions, you do people, of course. I had white people on there. I had all these institutions that I was angry about from like a liberal perspective. Mm. And what was so powerful was that the same things I was resentful at institutionally were the same things that I was resentful at my parents for, or like resent had this lineage from the same things I was resentful for when I was seven years old, or like the same things that I'm resentful for when I'm 30 years old. And yeah. People change, but the resentment stay the same. And for me, it was all about like my freedom being taken away and not feeling like I had choices. Mm. And so when I see people that get so deeply connected to a cause in any way, I guess like the story I make up is like not that the cause isn't really beneficial, but that it's just trying to bring them back to themselves. And it's yeah. trying to back to there's a core healing that is necessary. And I noticed that like when I show up, because I've done my work, I used to be really angry about white people. I used to be really defensive. Mm. I'm also white, I should say, maybe people can tell, but I <laughs> but I have so much resentment against white people. My parents are huge Trump supporters. They're Southern Baptist conservative. Wow. My son is biracial. We've had like a lot of things come up around this. And 
something has really shifted where I can truly talk about this topic with other people from a place of like openness and compassion. And now I actually think is just now when I really can make changes because it's not about me. Right. I'm not like deep down. I need you to wake up because my dad didn't wake up for me or whatever it is. Right. Right. Yes. Oh, relating hardcore over here. (laughs) And I think that that's also too. it just makes the conversation really muddled. Right. Because it's so personal. It can feel so personal for people. And it's funny because it is and it isn't. Right. I mean, we learn, like you said earlier, that everything is a projection of everybody else. But at the same time, this is my soul that's moving through this plane for whatever reason at this time in the world and for whatever reason I'm supposed to do this work. Right. I heard you say how you're like beating yourself up for mm-hmm. not seeing it sooner. Yeah. I'm starting to believe that like even if I thought I could wake up faster or at some other speed, it's actually out of my control. I am receiving awareness at the pace that I am supposed to receive it. I think sometimes I make it like, oh, I'm doing all my work and that's why I'm getting it. And I can do this work because of whatever happened last generation and the generation before that. And I incarnated at this time with this much awareness and other people incarnated with different levels of awareness. And we all have different starting points. And Mm -hmm. so I just think it's important to stay focused. So like, what is your calling and how are you called to be awake and who is the universe that you've attracted to support the awakening of that universe. Right. Ooh, girl. (laughs) Yeah, I guess this is really bringing me to an awareness of how you think you arrive somewhere, right? Like you think you got your shit together and then you get some more information and you're like, I never had my shit together in the first place. And that's kind of what I'm coming to right now because when you said, I need you to wake up because my dad never woke up. I'm like, girl, That's fucking why I do what I do. And I don't know why that's hitting me so hard right now, but it's just feeling like, fuck, I am living out of my wounds and I thought I wasn't. Like, I I thought I'm farther than that. I go even further though. What if, like, in the perfect curriculum, it wasn't a wound? What if it was like a a lesson you had to have to have the motivation that you have now to? do the thing that you were supposed to do. I think that the whole game is just that there are levels of awareness that I'm experiencing with the people around me that I never experienced before because I'm I've in mm-hmm. conscious leadership I feel much more connected to people who are doing the work of consciousness at a really rigorous level and once you just get out of this kind of like dualistic thinking yeah. right and like it's all about me and you can really shift and just see like I was waking people up because I wanted my dad to wake up and I have awareness around mm-hmm. that and I'm creating space for healing around that and I still want to wake people up. Yeah. And I'm still called to do that and yeah. my attachment to it is something that I can heal. Right, right. It doesn't change that this is exactly part of my curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for softening that for me. <laughs> I'm sure you could hear like, well, she's going to beat herself up over that later. <laughs> well, I just, I feel very passionately about this because yeah. I think it's part of the psychosis of our society, the shame and that way that we frame things. We tend to put everything in a focus of what is broken and not in a right. focus of like what is perfect or what is beautiful. And I'm passionate about shifting that focus when we look at ourselves and we look at others. Yeah. 
And that's literally what came to me at my 12-step meeting this morning, too, is recognizing how much of my life I've lived committed to not loving myself and how it's just been over the past couple years that I flipped it to trying to commit to love myself and how much has changed because I've created that space and that commitment. I think every relationship, if it's all a projection, then it it's like basically we're the movie camera, right? And we're right. like projecting the movie and like we can deal with the projection or we can deal with the camera, you know, right. and loving that will allow us to love everything in the projection. Right. So are you a healer? I was thinking about that. Like <laughs> I definitely really resonate with that word, but that what came up when I was thinking about our talk today was while I've always considered myself a healer today, I'm thinking like healing assumes that something is broken. Mm. So I think I would say I'm like a waker. Like I think mm. people are asleep to things and they need support waking up to those things. In that way, it becomes a healing experience. So I definitely relate to the word healer, but I just think we're all healers. So to say that right. like some people are healing and some people aren't, like we're all healing each other all the time. Right. Because even in difficult relationships, like we were saying before, that's how awakening gets activated because we don't we don't awaken comfortably. I mean, I read I can't remember if I told you about it, but this book called the what is it? The Science of Spiritual Awakening. And he talks about how pretty much every single time people wake up, it's uncomfortable whether the event that causes the awakening is uncomfortable or it's just the discomfort of integrating the learning, it's pain. Pain is what makes humans change. And it's just so funny that we spend our lives really trying to avoid that. What I've learned is pain and suffering are different, right? So yeah, like yeah. And suffering is optional. And I think that we probably in consciousness mostly woke up as a result of suffering. And now we're getting to a place where it doesn't just have to be suffering, I think. Right, right. But I was thinking about, like, as a teacher, one thing I was always attracted to my most difficult student mm. and the ones with the biggest issues and, like, learning to love and to support them. And that's where I really woke up to the idea that, like, whoever is the hardest for me is my greatest teacher because... Yeah. Now I feel like I could teach and manage any type of student, any type of personality, because I chose to lean into those experiences and expand right. my capacity and my availability for what I could accept and love and work with. And so that's why I think like what we have an aversion to is such a gift to our healing. Yeah. And it's funny because as you say that too, I can recognize that part of why I can enjoy working with a difficult client is because it makes me feel like a badass. And that's not, <laughs> that's not leaning into it, you know, for personal growth. That's like fucking patting my ego on the back. And yeah, I've had a lot of ego blows lately. And it's been interesting because I've done so much work over the years to be less reactive to that, you know, external whether people like me or they don't, but it still kind of goes down to this desire to be validated through love mm. rather than just trusting that I am enough. You're teaching me a lot today. Thanks. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Right? It is a bitch. 
the things that I like to do in the world, people do not enjoy. Right. I think that my gift is that I can like lovingly support truth in people. And Mm -hmm. I'm really coming to see that the people I support in my life unravel as a result of experience. And I'm trying to just own that, like my specific way of being is to allow for that and can hold space for it and Mm -hmm. won't leave you as you unravel. But that the truth is unraveling and it's the truth will set you free because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, the level of truth you're available for to me is proportional to how much freedom you experience. Mm. (sighs) Again. (laughs) So how do you feel about the term wounded healer? I definitely have always thought of myself as that. I realized really early that like, I had gone through so much in such a short amount of time so that I could create capacity for other people. And so Mm -hmm. I just think that our wounds are our greatest gifts. Like they're everything that we have to offer. I just, I'm finding that the connotation of even seeing them as wounds, right? It's like I can create this story of victimization that gets me stuck if I get too connected to like my wounds, And I'm getting to a place where I see them very much as gifts. So as a result, when I'm supporting other people and they're going through situations that they feel at the effect of or they feel are something they could never overcome, I'm like, wow, I actually get happy. Yeah, I feel exactly that same way about clients. Like I've watched people go through hard things and I'm like, you're getting this because you created enough healing to get here. So congratulations. This is next level shit. But I do think that the big shift for me is, I don't know if listeners are familiar, I'm an Enneagram type four, and we really love suffering and Mm. can get really really stuck there. And a lot of the suffering I created, I just was really aligned to like, I'm not enough. I do everything wrong. I just continue to create chaos in my life. And I feel like in the last few years, I'm starting to really shift my impact by accepting all of those things as gifts and not seeing them as like mistakes that I made. But it goes back to your like love and acceptance of self. The more that that is true, the more that I'm supporting people from a place of really holding space for them versus like needing them to get better to increase my own self-worth. Right, right. And I'm a three. I'm a three wing two. And I think isn't it two, three, four, like our big thing is shame. Yeah. And we're the heart types. So yeah, the shame is the core thing. And so when shame is your core wound, unconditional love is the antidote. So it makes total sense to me that you would be so drawn to Brene Brown. Like I think she's just brought so much in the world around that. But yeah, like shame is Mm -hmm. so crippling. Yeah. And I've said this on the podcast before and I'll say it again. My husband is really who did the heavy lifting when it comes to the unconditional love that helped me heal because he really was the first person who offered that to me. And without him, I think I would not, I know I would not be where I am right now for so many reasons. But for that one alone, like he's just, (laughs) he's a nine. So he's just 
so patient and let me like spin off and be crazy. And he would never take it personally. And he would just wait for me to be done throwing a fit. And then we'd be able to talk about it and just him not going away when I would act out and whatever. That's just what did it. Yeah, I have chills again. Like that's really a whole nother podcast, but I I really believe that intimate relationships are our greatest healers and that one person always has to go first. Like one mm. person to hold space for the other, but that then there has to be a reclamation or a coming balance mm-hmm. between yep. the relationship. And I knew it testing this theory out, but I feel all kinds of chills from hearing you say that. Mm. And I think it's an example of who we need to be in community. You know, like yes. some people have to go first. They have to take the risk. They have to love first, be vulnerable first, be honest first. Like those mm-hmm. risks are the things that create space for healing. Right. Damn, girl. You just vibrate on a different level. Wow, thank you. I'm feeling so much appreciation for the work that you do in the world and giving voice to these things that you you have a you've created a platform to do that and you know now I've seen kind of your community where you work and mm-hmm. when I meet people like you I have like more hope on the planet. Mm-hmm. Ditto. I feel super grateful to just have an opportunity to share with you. Mm, Same. And I can't believe this is almost the end of the hour. I swear to God, every time I do these, I'm like stuck in this like black hole of black hole sounds negative. I don't mean it in a negative (laughs) way. Just like time, just. And time, space, continuum. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I wake up and it's an hour later and Oh, it's so funny because I always listen back to these because in order for me to have the presence that I need to have in order to do a good interview, I can't take notes while this is happening. So I always have to go back and listen. And one of the ways this has been so healing for me is not only are the initial conversations healing, but then when I listen again, I forget the gift that I was given and then I get to hear it again. I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah, this is one I'm going to have to keep going back to. Thank you. Well, Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you specifically would like to share with listeners today? I don't think there's anything we didn't talk about that I would want to talk about. I think that what's coming forward for me is that whoever's listening, that wherever you are and your path is perfect. And Mm. all those times you're telling yourself you should be somewhere else or you should have done it differently, that those are just thoughts that create unnecessary suffering because it's perfect. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing is perfect. Mm -hmm. Enjoy that journey. Yeah. And I want to add on to that because I remember a time in my life when people would say that to me and I would be like, but fuck you, how? (laughs) And the way that I really think about that is I literally think about softening into an idea. And sometimes it's, you know, taking a deep breath and imagining like opening my heart space to let that in. That's how I take in hard things. So for what that's worth, listeners, if that is helpful to you, take it. If not, totally cool too. Mm. Well, Lauren, thank you for blowing my mind. Like I think I had eight mindgasms <laughs> some, somewhere around there. That's so like the best so- anyone could ever give me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're welcome. There are more where that came from because this is definitely not going to be our last big, deep conversation. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being my guest today. Like I said, I think I said this during the interview that I feel like Lauren just vibrates at this really special frequency and I am going to feel the reverberation for the rest of the day for sure. So I hope you did as well. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art photo, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. To find out more information about Lauren, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. Thanks so much. Until next time. Bye-bye.